Welcome, welcome, welcome to the well. My name is Ben Post, and I am on staff with Campus Ministry. Uh, for those of you that I have not yet met personally, I would like to do that. So let's change that sometime in the next few weeks. Can we do that? Great. Thanks. Uh, okay, so when I was in college, I had the opportunity to be involved in a ministry on campus, sort of like this. We did weekly worship gatherings on Tuesday nights. Uh, they offered small group Bible studies and also spring break service trips or mission trips. Uh, so I was, we're getting ready to launch our spring break trips next week. We're going to announce them. Come on now. So as we're getting ready for those things, I was kind of reflecting a little bit on what was it like for me when I was in college. So can I share a story with you guys tonight? Okay, thanks. That would have been awkward if you said no. Okay, so uh, we, my senior year of college, we went to Panama City Beach, Florida. All right. So here's a picture. Maybe. Hold on. Hold on. I didn't turn it on. My fault. There we go. There's me. Can you find me there? Yeah. That's a good game, right? There I am. That's me on the left, by the way, not on the right. That's, uh, that's a lot of hair and a lot of go, you know, goatee going on right there. Anyway, that's just, that's, that's a team of amazing people in that picture is what that is. I know it's distracting with this thing that was going on there, but whatever. Uh, as you may or may not be aware, there are amazing college students who want to spend their spring breaks going and serving. There are also college students who like to go on spring break and do other things. Have you guys heard of something like this? Yes? Okay. No? Okay. Well, we're going to fix that tonight. I'm going to tell you a story. So when we went on spring break, we went to Panama City Beach, Florida, and our job, our team, we just went there to go love on college students. We went there to go love on college students who went to seek the beach and make poor life choices. And we wanted to just love on them in the midst of their shenanigans, if you will, right? Um, so what we did is we just made sure we budgeted a lot of uh, food. And so we would just feed people a lot. We would meet people on the beach. Like the guys would go down in the morning and we'd get a football game started or something like that. Recruit a bunch of guys who was hanging out, play football together or frisbee together or whatever. And then we just invited them back to our hotel room for free lunch. And they're like, free food? What are you talking about? And we just had these intentional conversations about life and faith and just all these other things while we were on spring break. Uh, and it was amazing. We saw God do so many incredible things in us, around us, through us. It was awesome. The last night, about 1 o'clock in the morning, the team's getting ready to go to bed. And for some reason, there was this pause thing that was going on inside of me saying, you should not go to bed yet. You should go outside and go for a walk. And I was like, this is, this is weird to me. You know, I'm like, I just, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm tired. I want to go to bed. Uh, but I paid attention enough to that and said, all right, you guys go to bed. I'm going for a walk. So I went for a walk down the beach, just walking. Not really sure what I'm doing here or why I'm doing what I'm doing, but I'm going for this walk. And I walked and I walked and I walked. I walked about a mile down the beach. And we got to this club that we had been in earlier that week, hanging out with people. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm going to turn around. So I decided to turn around, but this time walking back, I was walking along the street. 
And shortly after I started heading back towards my hotel, uh, there was a college female that was near me who had just left the club by herself. How do I say this? She had, I think, 14-inch heels on. Uh, not a lot of clothes on and had been drinking a lot. Okay? Is that a fair description right here? Give or take an inch with the heels. <laughs> and I was like, this is just not, this is a, a recipe for disaster for this girl. And I don't know what to do, but I feel like I need to somehow care for her or just walk with her, right? So I welcomed myself to walk with her. And I totally freaked her out, obviously, right? <laughs> I know I'm going to freak you out, but I don't care because I'm going to help you, <laughs> even though you don't know this. And so I just walked with her. And as I walked with her, she eventually got the vibe that I'm not a crazy guy, right? Uh, and that I was genuinely just trying to keep her safe. And as we walked, she just vented about her friends that ditched her at the club. And she vented about this and vented about how she doesn't have any money for a cab. And now she's got to walk all this way in her heels and da 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 We just walked. And I just listened. And I wanted to make sure that Sarah was safe. Sarah, that was her name. And eventually, there was a, a free shuttle that came by. And so we both hopped on that because we were like, we don't want to walk anymore. It's a free shuttle. So she was getting off uh, at her hotel. And I just said goodbye to her and said something like, you know, have a great week and God bless. And when I said the word or the phrase God bless, I got two looks. One was like, what? And then the other one was like, So that's why you were acting the way you were acting and not like all the other guys that I've been interacting with this week. Like it was like two of those looks at the same time. It was this very fascinating, but that's all it was. And then she left. And I went back to my hotel and I was like, okay, that was interesting, but what was that? Right? I mean, it wasn't like this really amazing story. It was just like, but I was, but I was supposed to walk with Sarah. And so I did. And... That week, I just learned a lot about what it means to go when God encourages us to go. And I learned a little bit about what it means to go to places that are outside of our comfort zone and to go to places that are maybe dark places where there's not a lot of Christian things going on. And so tonight, I want to look at a story in the Gospels. We're going to continue our, our series with Jesus in Galilee, according to Mark. And we're going to look at a story tonight where Jesus, I think, leaves kind of his comfort zone place, and he goes to a hard, dark place with people that have very different values than he does. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And before we dive into the story tonight, uh, also, if you, have a, if you don't have a Bible and would like one, just go ahead and raise your hand. And we have some people that would love to deliver a Bible to you so you can follow along. Um, a couple things of background before we dive into the text tonight. So this map hopefully is starting to look a little bit familiar to some of you if you've been coming along, you know, weekly here at the well. 
the Sea of Galilee right here, sea of, or the city of Tiberias right there, and these are the Herodians, okay? So there are several different people groups that lived at different points around the lake, okay? Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake, actually, seven miles by 13 miles. Um, the Herodians are people who were like, I want to be religious, and I want to follow God, but I'm also really enjoying the things of this world, Anybody ever met anybody sort of like that before? Okay, that, was, that would be a description of the Herodians. We're like, we're trying to follow God, we're trying to follow the Scriptures, but we're also really enjoying the pleasures of this world and the things that all of Rome offers us. Uh, up in the north, we have the religious Jews. You see the three cities, Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. Those three cities kind of form a triangle, if you can see the triangle. That was known as like the religious triangle. So the religious Jewish people for the most part, lived there. And they were the ones that were trying to follow God and follow uh, the scriptures and all of that kind of stuff. Over here we have the Zealots. Okay, the Zealots lived in Gamla. The Zealots were religious fanatics. And they also wanted to follow God with all of their heart and all of their soul. And they also wanted to get rid of people who were not doing likewise. And so they would even take extreme measures and kill people who were not following in the ways of God as a way to clean house, if you will. And then we have the people who live in the Decapolis. We're going to talk a little bit about the Decapolis tonight. Uh, what is the Decapolis? I'm so glad you asked. Thank you for asking. Uh, about 300 years before Jesus, there's this guy by the name of Alexander the Great. Anybody heard of Alexander the Great? A few of you are lying by not raising your hand, but that's okay. Moving on. Uh, Alexander the Great came to power, and he swept from Greece to India in a very short amount of time. While he was conquering Israel, he established 10 Greek cities in the land. Okay? Um, here's a picture of the 10 Greek cities in red here. And, well, red cities and then the yellow territory is known as the Decapolis. These 10 cities, basically, he planted in a religious region in hopes that Hellenism would spread. And it worked. A very pagan worldview infiltrated a very religious area and a very religious culture. These 10 cities became known as the Decapolis. Here's a picture of one of the cities. This is Bethshan or Scythopolis, as it was called then. Uh, very polytheistic, cosmopolitan, lots of money, very wealthy. They had, you know, advanced things like running water, um, the newest iPhone, if you will, whatever. Um, but they were extremely pagan and ungodly in their, in their culture. Think Las Vegas. Okay, maybe that helps. Casinos and strip clubs and prostitutes, this is the kind of activity that was going on in the Decapolis region. They don't really give a crap about kosher or about this book or about God himself. Why would they? they we are all that we need. We are self-sufficient. We can do this ourselves, and we're going to show everybody how amazing we are as humanity. Okay, that's a little bit of what Hellenism is, and that's a little bit of what it was like in the Decapolis region. 
So now in Mark chapter 5, okay, last week Noel shared the story of Jesus and the disciples crossing over the Sea of Galilee. They encountered this huge storm. The disciples totally freaked out. Jesus calmed the storm because he's Jesus. Uh, and our story tonight picks up right where we left off last week. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1. They, Jesus and the disciples, came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. Okay, now I want to stop there for just a moment. If you look at the end of that verse, do you see a little one there with a little footnote in your Bible? Okay, what is your, go ahead and look at the footnote and what does your footnote say? Somebody say it out loud. Some manuscripts say Gadarenes, some manuscripts say the Gergesenes, okay? Now, let me just, I think geography is important. I think it's helpful. I'm also a little bit weird, so I'm going to show you a couple of maps, okay? Uh, okay, so the region of the Gerasenes or the city of Gerasa, which is here, okay? They crossed over from Capernaum to the other side and came to Gerasa. 35 miles south of the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee. Eh, maybe. Or Gadara. Okay, they crossed over the Sea of Galilee, came to the other side, and then they went five and a half miles south to Gadara. Also a possibility. The third option that they mention in these manuscripts is Gergesa. And they crossed over the Sea of Galilee to the other side, and they came to Gergesa. Hey, that might make more sense, right? Anyway. Uh... Either way, well, actually, the text doesn't say the city of. The text does say the country of the Gerasenes. And Gerasa was the largest city in the region of the Decapolis. So it's possible that the Decapolis region was just known as the country of the Gerasenes because it's these kinds of people that are infiltrating this whole area. Either way, maybe you don't really care about that, but uh, sometimes I think it's helpful just to look at these footnotes and say, hey, you know, some people... I believe that everything was written in the scriptures is right and true, but every once in a while there's these tiny little differences and they make mention of them in the different manuscripts and we'll just say what they are. Anyway, let's just start over, shall we? Mark chapter 5, verse 1, now that you don't care about maps. <clears throat> Jesus and the disciples came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And after crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. <clears throat> now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. 
And the unclean spirits came out and, the, and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. And he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, here's what I want you to do next. I want you to get into groups of like two or three and just talk about this story, okay? What observations do you have? What, what kind of stands out to you? Or what questions do you have? What are you curious about? Because, you know, it's a really great story, but it's also a little bit weird, right? Let's just name that. It's a little bit weird. So what questions do you have as you read this somewhat strange story? And maybe the most important question I want you to think about is why did Jesus go to the Decapolis? Why did Jesus go to the Decapolis? So questions, observations, why did Jesus go to the Decapolis? You got a couple minutes with a partner or two. Go ahead. Okay, let's, uh, let's bring it back this direction, please. Let's bring it back this direction, please. I am curious uh, what some of your questions might have been. So go ahead and raise your hand. I want to hear what some of your questions were. Yeah. Did the guy have 2,000 demons in him? Very good question. We're just asking questions. I'm not giving answers right now. I don't have all the answers anyway. Scott does. Another question. Great question. Why did they ask Jesus to leave after he healed the demon-possessed man? I mean, hypothetically speaking, you live next to a psychotic neighbor. And all of a sudden your psychotic neighbor is normal. Aren't you thankful that Jesus did that? Right? And why are you, I mean, anyway, great question. Somebody else had a question over here. Yeah. Why did the demons ask to be put into the pigs and they were killed anyway? Great question. Somebody else had a... Okay, go ahead. What happened to the demons after they went into the water? Great question. Yeah. Why did the demons have a name in the first place? Isn't this fun? Are we having fun yet? <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, we... We read the stories, and sometimes I don't think we stop long enough to ask questions. We just read and say, okay, that's what happened. But I think we can learn a lot when we stop and just pause and reflect and ask some deeper questions. Okay, but so what's really going on here? What does this mean? Why did he do that? How did he do that? What is... It's really great to ask 
great questions. So thank you for participating in this and joining me with asking questions. Uh, like I said, I do not have all the answers. I just like to explore the questions with you guys. Um, okay, so Jesus is in Galilee. And most, I forget, I, I think I had a map there, but I don't. Anyway, most of Jesus' ministry, maybe even 70%, took place in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, in the religious triangle, Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida, that general area. Some say maybe even up to 70% of his ministry took place there. Jesus then goes to the Decapolis. He gets in a boat with his disciples. They cross over the lake to the other side. The disciples are terrified. A, they just encountered this incredible storm. And B, they get their boats up on shore. And the next thing we know, we have this naked, bloody guy running out at them. Right? They're terrified. And they're going to the place that their parents warned them not to ever go. If you go to Las Vegas, this is what you're going to see. And this is what you're going to experience. Don't go there. Jesus is like, this is where we're going. I'm like, what are we doing? Jesus and his disciples are outside of the comfort zone of the religious triangle. And this guy is a total social outcast. I think he's an outcast even amongst the Decapolis people, right? Everyone around there is making jokes about him. He probably doesn't have many friends or community or anything like that. And I, I love this part of the story. Okay, verse 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Where are the disciples in this? I think the disciples are like, nope. I mean, they just rowed to shore and they're still sitting in the boat, I think. The text says when Jesus gets out of the boat, I think the disciples are like, we're not doing this. This is crazy. Um, okay, so the demon-possessed man comes and has this encounter with Jesus. He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. The term Legion was actually a word for a Roman military unit consisting of 5,400 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen. So this guy is basically saying, I am possessed by an army of demons. My name is Legion, for we are many. 5,400 um, foot soldiers, 120 horsemen. This is the reality of this guy's life. Now, we could spend some time talking about spiritual warfare and demon possession and all this kind of stuff, and that would be a fascinating conversation. It's not the direction we're going to tonight, um, but it's just, we'll keep moving on. All right, so pigs. Okay, then we have this situation with the pigs. What the heck is going on with these pigs? Pigs were considered unclean animals to the religious Jewish people. It says so in the Torah, in Leviticus chapter 11 and in Deuteronomy chapter 14. No bacon. That's what it says. Look it up in the message version. No bacon. And here in the Decapolis, they have pig farmers. Okay? Pigs were a sacrificial animal of pagan cities. They sacrificed pigs to idols, sold meat in the marketplace. The prophet Isaiah actually in, um, uh, I didn't write down the reference here. Prophet Isaiah actually lumped pork eaters, tomb dwellers, and demon uh, worshipers all together. You're basically all the same. It was very important to abstain from pork. And at the time of Jesus, pigs were also associated with pagan attempts to abolish Judaism. We could tell that story another time. But 
Therefore, abstaining from things like pigs and not being around pork was proof of your commitment to following in the ways of God. Now, I know this is a weird thing in our culture because I love bacon, right? Uh, and what's wrong with being around pigs? I don't really get that. But just think for a second. Try to step back into their culture. Think for a second about what's one thing that you know you should not do as a follower of Jesus. Don't say it out loud. Just think right there. And now think, are there people in this world who are making money by doing those things? Okay? That's kind of what's going on here in their culture. Okay? Don't do this. Let's make money by doing this. All right? Okay, so here's a picture of the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus enters into the Decapolis region, somewhere over here. And the story says the pigs were filled with demons and they ran down a steep hill into the Sea of Galilee and they were drowned. You can see the steep hill. And the text kind of just assumes to, I don't know if it's really answering your question, but the text kind of assumes that the pigs and the demons are wiped out when they go into the sea. Um, I can't say for certainty, but that's what it seems like as I read this story. Uh, and then the demon-possessed man was just sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and the people were afraid. Why were the people afraid? What were they afraid of? And then they plead for Jesus to leave. It's such a fascinating thing to me. Well, I think one of the reasons why they asked Jesus to leave is he just ruined their economy. Right? 2,000 pigs could feed that entire community for a long time. And he just destroyed it. So I think they were upset with him for that. But I think they might have been grateful for this neighbor who was no longer crazy. A few observations that I have from this story. Number one, nobody is beyond redemption. Nobody. I know you heard me the first time, but let's just let that sink in for a minute. Nobody is beyond redemption. Now, I know some of you, I don't know all of you, I don't know a lot of you, actually, yet. I don't know your stories. I want to know them. I want to know who you are. So I don't know what your story is, but I know two things. I know me. I know my story. I know the ugliness that, what, that was. And as I read this story about this demon-possessed man who was in total chaos, possessed by an army of demons, has an encounter with the living God, and it totally transforms his life. Nobody is beyond redemption. Maybe you feel like you've got some stuff. You probably do. Because so does your neighbor, the person sitting next to you, also has some stuff. And so does your pastor. <laughs> I got some stuff. My life isn't all put together. And that's okay. We're not supposed to have all of our stuff together. 
Because God and his love and his grace and his mercy is big enough to overcome our messes. And he's big enough to break these chains that continually hold us down and prevent us from having life abundantly and life to the full. So I don't know you. I don't know what your story is. Maybe you feel like you resonate with this demon-possessed guy. You're like, man, this is who I was. And then I met Jesus, and I'm here. And there's a clear line between the two. Now, I've met Christians who have said they don't have a story. Or they've said things like, I wish I would have done dumb things in high school so that I had a story. And I hear that and I think, what? Why would you wish that you had made poor life choices and lived with regret? Why don't you celebrate and said, wow, God's faithfulness is so big and his love is so wide that he spared me from doing these other things. And that's your story. And that's a good story. And it's just as good of a story as the demon-possessed man's story. It's, a, it's your story. It's a story of God's faithfulness in your life. So that brings me to number two. Tell your story. Tell it. Okay, so Mark chapter 5, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Okay? If I'm reading the story for the very first time, I'm thinking this guy's totally coming with Jesus and the disciples. He's being like 13th man, right? But that's not what happens. Jesus says, no, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed. This man went around in the Decapolis region telling anyone and everyone who would listen to his story. And everyone was amazed. He didn't first go to seminary and figure out how to study the Bible. He didn't have to figure out all the right answers. He didn't even follow Jesus really that long at all. Jesus said, just go tell your story of how I had mercy on you. So he did. And all of the Decapolis was amazed. What's your story? When's the last time you told your story? Third thing I've got up there is just the word go. Go to the Decapolis. Jesus and his disciples, they left the religious triangle in the north. They got outside of the Christian bubble. They crossed over the lake to one of the darkest, most pagan places in their world at the time. And Jesus was determined to bring light into the darkness to bring hope where there was hopelessness, to bring peace and restoration where there was just utter chaos.
chaos. Because Jesus wanted to be a light to all people. He wanted to bring hope to all people. And in order to do that, it required getting in a boat and going out of their comfort zones to Las Vegas. So I'm wondering tonight if we could be like Jesus. I'm wondering tonight if we could think about not just how did he live his life, but also can we do this? Can we also get out of our comfort zone? Can we also get out of, if you are in a Christian bubble, if you are just living in the cooked away all the time, can you get out of that just long enough to think about the people that are on the other side of the lake? who are in desperate need of hope and light and restoration in the midst of their chaos. Do they need the light in the midst of the darkness? And if so, who is going to go? What might this look like for us? Okay, so we don't really live in the Decapolis. We don't really live over there in the Middle East, and that's not really a thing anymore. But I think you can start to put some of the pieces together in your world. Uh, last week, I heard my friend Josh say something casually about things that he was doing that kind of resonated with me with this story. And so I asked if he would be willing to come and just share a couple minutes about what this looks like in his context. So, ladies and gentlemen, Josh Harmon. So, when I came to college, I had one goal. To make the club volleyball team. And so I was talking with the coach during the summer. I was going to training camps, all that stuff. And then I got to school, and I went to tryouts, and I made the team. And I was like, yes, great, mission accomplished. I did the one thing that I wanted to do, and everything seemed to be perfect. And then the season started progressing, and we started having practice and tournaments and everything that comes along with it. And I soon came to realization that this community that I was surrounded by um, was very different than anything that I had known before. It was a very Decapolis-like place to be. Um, and it was almost really shocking to me because I had never been in an environment like that or had friends that lived very differently than me, um, whether it was living differently on the weekends or the responses they had to certain situations, that type of thing. And so I continued on my freshman year on the team just kind of living with a lot of regret and a lot of confusion of, I think this is my community, I think this is where I want to be, but I know that I'm living a lifestyle that doesn't feel right to me, and that definitely doesn't fit with what the Lord wants me to be doing. Um, but I continued on with it, and I finished my freshman year, and I kind of left on a sour note and just didn't really have a good feeling about it and decided to not go back my sophomore year. And so my sophomore year, I really spent time investing into my relationship with the Lord and kind of figuring out how to, how to plant my feet like firmly on the ground and to become grounded and become um, a person of faith and what it means to uh, love like Jesus and to be like Jesus. And so my sophomore year, I kind of spent my year in the bubble. Um, and it was good. I had a lot of growth and a lot of good things came out. I found my real community and my best friends and I found what it looks like to pursue the Lord. Um, but I didn't have that Decapolis in my life. 
And so then come to the beginning of this school year, um, I kind of felt a tug in my life from the Lord, like, maybe I should go back to the volleyball team. Um, you, like, I'm ready for that type of thing. I know how to appropriately, appropriately love these people and to um, just be around that type of community environment. But just with the season of tiredness and having my plate already filled with a ton of things, I was like, no, maybe I shouldn't go back. It just kind of is one extra thing that I have to add to my schedule. Um, but the Lord is like, no, you should probably go back. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty tired and I'm pretty anxious. And it, makes, it gives me a lot of anxiety, so I don't think I will. But he's like, no, you're going back. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, I'm going back. <laughs> and so on the very last day of tryouts, the coach was like, we have a spot for you if you want it. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I guess I'll take it. And um, so I've gotten to be back on the team this year um, after a year off. And it's been really, really awesome to kind of be with the guys my freshman year and kind of live into that lifestyle and then take a step back and kind of really figure out who I am and who I am in God and then go back and have them be able to see who I am now and that I live my life a little bit differently and that I know what true joy is and that I know what it means to have peace. Um, and so that's been a really cool opportunity to have God very evidently put a Decapolis in my life and that I am able to go into this place um, so confidently that I just have to be there and I just have to love these people because if I am just being my true self and if my true self is defined by God, then they are able to see that difference. Um, and so just being able to be back there has been a really cool thing. Um, it's not always easy thing, but it's definitely what the Lord calls us to do. He doesn't call us to just sit and be comfortable, but he calls us to go out and to be light and to be love and to be uncomfortable. And that is sure as heck what he is doing to me this year, but it's been really awesome. So. Thanks, Josh. We, uh, 2002, had an incredible week, spring break, Panama City Beach, Florida. We had so much fun that we just wanted to stay, right? You know the feeling? Built incredible friendships, saw God do incredible things, and there's nothing wrong with hanging out at the beach all day, every day, instead of sitting in class in Michigan anyway, right? But alas, we went back, obviously. And a few days after we got back, we uh, went to our Tuesday night worship gathering on campus. And afterwards, me and a few of my friends, we decided to go uh, get late night food afterwards. Sort of like Applebee's, half off apps kind of deal. But back then, it was the one and only Denny's. <laughs> hanging out at Denny's. Uh, there were about 10 of us there, and we were sitting there. I'm looking at the menu, trying to figure out what I'm going to order, and our waitress comes to take our order, and I took a double take. I was like, wait, what? And that's why I said, hey, are, are you? And she said, Sarah. said, yeah, that's me. Thanks for your help in Florida last week. Also, I saw you in class this morning as well. Whoa! <laughs> what? 
What are you talking about? I can't make the story up. God called me and a team of people to go to Panama City Beach, Florida to love on people. And then he prompted me to go for this crazy walk in the middle of the night, no idea why, to just walk with this girl to make sure she was safe. And then I find out, I didn't even know she was from Michigan. We never even talked about that, let alone be at the same school and sit in the same freaking classroom, right? <laughs> it's crazy. Why did Jesus go to the Decapolis? People in the Decapolis are desperate for hope and for light. People like the demon-possessed man need to encounter the life-changing love of Jesus. Are we willing to follow his example? Are we willing to get out of our comfort zones long enough to go to hard places, dark places? Are we willing to get out of our Christian friends' only bubble if that's what your reality is in order to love on people who are living on the other side of the lake, if you will. I want to invite the music team to come on up. And while they do that, I want to just say a few final things. I want to remind us that nobody is beyond redemption. Nobody is beyond redemption. When you hear this phrase or when you hear these stories or when you read this passage, I want to know who for you might come to mind. Who do you know personally that might just desperately need a life-changing encounter with Jesus? Is it a roommate? Somebody that lives down the hall? A coworker you can't stand? Is it a family member? Now, what I... What I'm trying, what I'm not trying to say is that we have all of our stuff together and we're gonna go over here and we're gonna scoop up all these people and be the saviors ourselves. What I'm saying is the light and the life and the truth of Jesus lives in us. And therefore we get to be a light to the world and therefore we need to go with Jesus to these dark places to love people because that's what they deserve. And sometimes when I think about these people who are just doing their thing over here and I'm just doing my thing over here, sometimes I just think, well, that's just who they are and that's just the way it's going to be. And sometimes I just get okay with that. But friends, nobody is beyond redemption. So this person that you love who's just doing these other things with their lives, how can we pray for them intentionally and differently this week? And not just be okay with, well, that's just the way it's always going to be. Let's not have that be the case. Let's figure out how we can go and love the crap out of these people 
and pray fervently for them, believing wholeheartedly that we also have encountered a life-changing love of Jesus that we do not deserve. But because of his great love for us, therefore we want to go, we have to go, just like the guy in the Decapolis. He could not tell his story. There are people outside of this building who are desperate for hope, for restoration in the midst of their chaos. Can we pray for them? Can we love them? Who is that person for you that you can pray for intentionally this week? And not just the who, but also maybe ask the question of where like our friend Josh was describing. Where might God be strategically placing you? Maybe it's just where you work. Maybe you don't even have to go anywhere. You just have to live intentionally where he's already put you. Where might that place be? How can you intentionally bring light to the places where God calls you to go? Please pray with me. Jesus, we need you. I need you. I acknowledge that my life is nothing without you. I can't just get my stuff together. I need your love to transform my heart and my mind. And as you do that work in me and as you do that work in us, God, I pray that you will help us to live our lives intentionally with joy, knowing our story and who we were. We were dead with no hope and with no life. And your love and your grace and your mercy are big enough to cover us. And so God, with that spirit and with that foundation in mind, God, I just pray for the people that we were thinking of tonight. For friends of ours who are living in Las Vegas. For friends who are just stuck are being bound with poor life choices and don't know another way out. God, I pray that you will help us to be a community of people who has incredible amounts of grace and compassion and love and not judgment. And God, I pray that you will use us, not because we are worthy or deserving, because you send us to love these people. deserve your love because you died for them. So God, I just pray that you will
help us. Help us to feel the good news in new ways for ourselves this week. Help us to remember who we were and who we get to be because of you. And God, if there's somebody in this room tonight who has never experienced or encountered the life-changing love of Jesus, God, I pray that you will meet that person here tonight as well. And we pray for our friends who are not here tonight. For family members who are just stuck doing other things in their lives. We pray that you will break those chains and set people free so that all people in all the world will know that you are good. We pray all these things in your name.